Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined tonight by the next head coach of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, Matt Philippines. Matt, what's going on? Oh, man, I didn't know I was going to be named next head coach. I, and, um, and, my and, fam- I, and I don't think Brian Kelly knew before this morning he was going to be the next head football coach at LSU. But guess what? He's the next head football coach at LSU. That's true. Uh, as Notre Dame head coach, my first rule is we will blitz every play and we will run the triple option. Matt is a uh, an upstanding young man after my own heart. But yeah, we're uh, we're obviously recording this podcast in the light of a whole hell of a lot of college football news, a lot of major coaching changes, stuff that we'll get into a little bit later and just kind of try and tie Penn State into uh, all of that. But of course, before we get to that, we're going to talk about Penn State's season finale, the Nittany Lions went into East Lansing to take on the 12th ranked Michigan State Spartans, lost 30 to 27 to fall to seven and five on the year, four and five in conference play. Uh, Matt, I we'll get into a little bit in this podcast and more in a couple more podcasts we'll do towards the end of the season. But as I sit here and I look at that seven and five, I look at the context under which that seven and five happened uh, with Sean Clifford getting hurt with the injury to PJ Mustafer, with the fact that the teams that they lost to, you know, big two teams playing for a big 10 championship, one team that until the last day of the regular season was competing for a big 10 championship, another team that's going to a new year six, like they, four of those losses came to teams going to new year six bowls. And I look at that and I still can't help but think this season at the very end, was a bit of a disappointment. Like, just broadly, and again, we'll get into all of this stuff, and we'll get into the game in a second, but would you agree with that sentiment? Yeah, absolutely. I think for a program like Penn State, 10 wins is the bar. And I think the Clifford injury gives you some leeway to drop you down to 8 or 9. You cannot blame that injury on a seven and five season. Like I I get it. Context is also very important, but at the end of the day, this is a team with 85 scholarship players and coaches who are very good at their job. So I think it's a lot deeper issues than just our quarterback got hurt as to why, you know, Penn state's sitting at seven and five. But again, I talked about this on earlier podcasts. I was really concerned. This team was peaking too early after probably the best September uh, of the past 25 years. And uh, it absolutely came crashing down to earth. And it's a, it's, mm-hmm. it's a major bummer because this looked like it was shaping up to be a very special season. Um, but I think disappointment is the best way to word it. Uh, and, and I don't think you can just put the blame on the injury. I think there's a lot of things that this staff and these players have to address in the coming you know weeks and months. Uh, and I'm curious to see, this is a, going to be a very intriguing offseason, um, which honestly, I don't think is going to have a whole lot of moving parts um, for Penn State. I, I, I'd be stunned if this coaching staff wasn't kept intact. Um, so I'm just curious to yeah. see, you know, what changes because this you cannot have, you know, seven and five coming off of four and five. And it seems like I, I don't want to go on my whole little tangent here, but I, I gladly will. Uh, it seems like a lot of people are looking at 2022 as a rebuilding year, and you can't have a rebuilding year after, you know, going 11 and 10 over your past 21 games or whatever it is. Like, you have to return to what this program should be next season. This should be your rebuilding year. That's what we have to look at this at. And I know that's not fair, but this is college football in 2021. It's what have you done for me lately? And 
you know, to follow up four and five and seven and five with something like an eight and four and nine and three season just frankly isn't going to be good enough for a lot of people. And uh, and I'm a pretty, yeah. you know, laid back guy. I think I really have a pretty good, you know, measured expectations. They're still high, but I don't think they're, you know, unattainable. So my outlook on this next offseason is a lot different based on the fact that they lost this game and, and how they lost this game against Michigan State was was really what was a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, Penn State, uh, the la- you know, we'll kind of throw out the first two seasons for uh, scholarship reasons, for, uh, you know, James Franklin getting his feet wet. If you want to include those, by all means, include those. But since 2016, 11-3, 11-2, 9-4, 11-2, and then the last two seasons, 4-5, and 7-5, both of those seasons included lengthy losing streaks. Uh, the 2020 season, of course, started with an 0-5 uh, start to the year. The 2021 season had that four-game losing streak in the middle of it, um, I, 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 I'm at a point where I don't know about you, Matt, but I'm I'm talking about the Michigan State game specifically. But I think this is something that applies to if you want to throw out Iowa from this, I understand. If you want to throw out Ohio State from this, I understand. But definitely Michigan State, definitely Michigan, and a million times over Illinois. I think at a certain point, this team turned into a team that when they got the big punch, when the other team really connected with that one haymaker, they folded. And they weren't sure what to do after that. And we saw the Wisconsin game. They took some haymakers from a damn fine Wisconsin team in Camp Randall, and they responded. We saw it against Auburn. Auburn gave them some stuff to have to worry about. And you know what? Mm, They responded to that. And then Sean Clifford goes down, and we saw throughout the season, it just seemed like Penn State – when the moment, when the lights got brightest, when the moments got biggest, when the pressure was at its highest, they struggled to bounce back from that. I think we saw that in this game. After that pick six, it seemed like, I don't know if this is the case, but it seemed like they were kind of surprised that Michigan State came down and went right down the field on a 15-play, 75-yard, nearly nine-minute drive. After the pick six to make 2017 Penn State, Touchdown, Michigan State, Penn State turnover on downs. Punt, Penn State fumble. Touchdown, Michigan State goes up 20 to 30. Michigan State gets the ball. They fumble the offense scores. End of the game, they aren't going to get the onside kick. They just dig themselves into holes and have no idea what to do to get out. Like It's it, it, it's just such an unfortunate end to this season because all this stuff about that team having a bit of a fighting spirit about them, the team – being able to respond to adversity, they had that for a while. And then after a while, Matt, it just kind of seemed like that went out the window. Yeah, and I don't really know where you can put that towards. I I know, you know, we've talked a lot about Franklin is a very emotional guy and he lets losses really stick with him. And I think that's a big reason for why, you know, Illinois went the way that it did. But it feels like they never got over that gut punch. And, And that's just, again, a really really big bummer like in term on a micro level in terms of each individual game they always punched back like against illinois they kept fighting they kept going out there for nine of the stupidest overtimes i've ever seen like in this michigan state game 
they battled back. They kept fighting. Jahan Dotson is an absolute superstar, and I'm going to miss him so much. Like, on a micro level, they keep fighting, but it felt like on a macro, they didn't really have anything left to fight for. And, and I know that may not make a lot of sense, but just the way I think about this season as a whole, I'm going to look back on that this team lost its way after a tough loss, but watching the games, you know, it didn't feel like that at all. So it's kind of a weird line that I'm walking here because obviously in the moment, you know, nobody plays to lose, but it just, again, it just feels like everybody kind of lost what they were playing for after, after Clifford got hurt against Iowa. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with that. And let's dive into the Michigan State game specifically. Uh, Again, 30-27 Spartans. uh, They outgained Penn State 451 to 374. Penn State had a bit of success moving the ball. That's something we're going to talk about. Uh, Third and fourth downs, Michigan State ended up thrashing them on third and fourth down. I believe Sean Fitz had – Sean Fitz of Lions 24-7 had the stat that they were averaging something like seven or eight yards – to go on third downs and they went nine for 18 on those three for four on fourth down Penn state. Meanwhile, five for 13 and two for three respectively, Matt, I want to ask you one question about this game before we get into Penn state's offense, Penn state's defense, especially all that stuff. When was the moment in this game when you went, this is over. They're not winning. Ooh, um, that incredibly stupid uh, kickoff return fumble. Um, that was when I, I knew this one was done. That was, that was terrible in the snow. Like I get it. It's a short, you know, the kicks aren't going as far. Um, there's a reason it was snowing, maybe take a knee that that's when I kind of thought, yeah, yeah, we're done here. Yeah, that, that, that's a pretty good, uh, pretty good shout. I mean, if you go back and look at that sequence of events, Michigan State again, scores a touchdown, uh, late with uh, 214 left in the third quarter to go up 20 to 23 Penn state's next drive, 12 plays, 54 yards. They have a turnover on downs because they cannot convert a fourth and one where they try running the football next Michigan state drive. They punt and Penn state ends up getting the football. Kayvon Lee, they run it, run it, run it. He fumbles on that third time, third and one, turn it over. They take over at Penn state's 48 Michigan state sources touchdown to go up 20 to 30. That was the moment where I went, I don't feel particularly good about this. They may get to 30 uh, on the play that I am going to mention in a nanosecond. Uh, but then on the ensuing drive, kickoff, it's a squib kick. John Lovett tries to pick it up. Um, you know, John, John Lovett will come up, I think, in a little bit. Uh, but he fumbles it. Michigan State picks it up. Penn State defense makes an incredible stand. But ultimately, too little, too late. But the moment I'm going to go back to, after that Penn State fumble, 20 to 30, 23 to 30, Michigan State day of the ball in the Penn State 49. On that drive, Michigan State gets a first down. They get down to Penn State's 15 on that first down. They run a nice little uh, play, dumping it to their tight end, Connor Hayward. The next couple of plays, Kenneth Walker runs three yards, setting up a second and seven. On that second and seven, Jesse Lukita gets into the backfield and just absolutely blows up a end around to Jaden Reed. Third and 15 thrown in completion. Michigan State calls a timeout. Balls on the Penn State 20. It's a 37-yard kick, but their kicker is hurt. So they decide to go for it. And the play call that they basically call for is Jaden Reed go to the end zone, Peyton throw the football to him. 
And, I'm gonna scream. I'm gonna scream in a second about something that made me so angry. But keep going. And we've seen on a lot of occasions with Brent Pry's defense on those third and fourth down and long situations that they're willing to let you complete the pass that you want to complete. They just have faith that they're going to be able to stop you from getting the yardage you need. And they huck that up. Reed basically gets – he gets John John Dixon who, you know, has been a, been a nice player. I think he's been, uh, you know, with the success of – Arnold Ebiketti, uh, I think that he kind of gets lost in uh, the transfer – and Derek Tantrill. He kind of gets lost in the transfer portal shuffle, but he's generally been pretty solid for Penn State this season. He just gets on to Reed's back hip, and that gets thrown to a place where because of where he is positioned, Reed is able to go up and just pluck it out of the air without all that much difficulty. That makes it 20 to 30, even if John Lovett didn't fumble on that next play. I just thought, the, like, in that moment, I went, yeah, this is over. Uh, you want to scream about something, by all means, go ahead and scream, because I imagine it's related to that. We didn't learn anything. This is literally how Michigan State beat Penn State on that throw to Felton Davis. Yeah. Late in the game, you put a corner, and no disrespect to John Dixon, I think he is Penn State's third best corner behind um, Daquan Hardy and Kalen King, and I no disrespect to Joey Porter Jr., but John Dixon is probably better at this point, but he's not as good as Amani Oruorie was that year. And we learned nothing. You left their best receiver in one-on-one coverage. Like, I'm a big Brent Pry fan. I think he's a great coach. He learned nothing in three, in three, four years, whatever that's been. I don't understand how you can have that happen again. I get each game is different, but to lose on a jump ball in one-on-one coverage in a position to get off the field is inexcusable. That and some of the play calling by Mike Yurcich has me so irate because I think it cost Penn State the game. I think if Penn State just runs any kind of zone instead of just going one-on-one with a corner like we've seen fail multiple times over the years was wildly irresponsible and it just showed that this staff didn't learn anything in four years and and that makes me so angry that it feels like the exact same way that 2017 game did god it makes me so angry yeah how did we not learn anything from that i i i think that there is an element of you more or less say if you're going to make a play, you know, you tip your cap in a situation, but which isn't to justify it by all means. I think there's, again, just an element of they go out there, they execute, they do something, you go, all right, good. You did it. Credit to you. We tried our best. But I think that when it comes to that, when it comes to that play in particular, like I almost wish you're running sticks at that point. You know what I mean? You're basically just putting everyone in one spot and treating it like, you you know, you almost don't acknowledge that there are five yards that they could get in between a first down and a touchdown. You know what I mean? Like you're basically just having everyone stand back there and assuming they're going to be going for broke unless they decide to like call a screen pass or something like that. It it was just a weird situation. It was something where I think a desire to be conservative considering the circumstances of the game 
considering the field conditions, considering the rumored illnesses that Michigan State illnesses and uh, injuries that Michigan State is dealing with, they just went, okay, you know what? We're going to be fine with taking our lumps. They're not going to be able to outlast us for an entire game. But then they eventually did that. And like, it's, it was really unfortunate. And it's something that this is one of the games that I, I would say this hurts more than Michigan. Definitely. Uh, hurts more than Ohio State, definitely. Iowa, I don't even know. doesn't hurt as much as Illinois. But this game was very winnable for Penn State, Matt. And we'll start with the offensive side of the football. But I think that was a – even though they had a pretty good game, 374 total yards, 313 through the air, Sean Clifford, uh, 9.2 yards per completion, uh, Kayvon, we had a little success running the football, which dog ear that one for a moment because we'll be coming back to it. They ultimately could not get out of their own way. And I think this game was the story of Penn State's season because, like, what else is there to say at this point that we have not already said that reared its ugly head for in this football game? I am a Mike Yersich stan. I think he is going to be a phenomenal hire. Uh, Bill, you watched the game. What kind of runs did Kayvon Lee have the most success on, in your opinion? The ones where he just where he was able to like bounce it a little bit, where he was able to take advantage of the fact that it seemed like Michigan State was very willing to say to him, "All right, listen, we know you're going to try and go run up the middle. The conditions are a little bit nasty. I, I believe his 33 yarder." Uh, it was off of the left tackle. There was a really good block by Tyler Warren, and he just kind of broke into that space. I felt like, and we'll get into why in a second, because I do think there was a somewhat legitimate reason, but it felt like they were basically trying to run inside zone over and over to try and pick up yards on the ground when getting him outside and getting him moving with the head of steam was their best bet. Yes, getting him with the head of steam was the answer I was looking for. A lot of the time, Mike Yurcich was calling plays in a blizzard that required him to make multiple cuts. And I don't get that. And I think with how poorly this offensive line has played, that is what doomed this Penn State offense. Again, I don't believe in balance for balance's sake. This Penn State team is built to throw the football. And that Michigan State secondary is begging you to throw against them. So it's not only watch Penn State commit to the run when it wasn't working, but the type of runs they committed to was absolutely maddening. That was some of the most questionable decision-making I've seen in a long time. Like, I forget what the quote was, but I know Franklin said, you know, we don't have a 100-yard rusher yet this season. You're not going to get one with this offensive line, so stop trying. You're, you're dooming your team to losses by trying this. Like, I, I'm not trying to call out specific players, but they're not playing the offensive line where they should be. And it's wasted, talented running backs. And it's wasted what, in my opinion, has been the best of Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford has been capital G good this year. Mike Yersich fixed Sean Clifford. And we're never really going to understand what that meant. Because Mike Miranda was at center instead of guard. Because Juice Scruggs wasn't at center. Because... The staff didn't think Landon Tangwall was ready to play tackle, and Caden Wallace had to play tackle when he's a guard. Like, this 
offensive line and the coaching staff let Sean Clifford down. And that's never the position you want to be in, especially for a fifth year guy who is, you know, going to leave probably in the top, you know, six or seven in every major passing category. Clifford was a good player for Penn State. And I think they wasted his best year by just this ridiculous commitment to a bit that was never going to work. So what I, th- what I think happened, and I have a very, very basic knowledge of tape, of film, of all these sorts of things, was Sean Clifford torched them through the air early on in the game. Uh, I am pulling them up right now, uh, but in the first half, he had 173 passing yards. He was 11 for 15, uh, able to find the end zone twice through the air. So what I posit happened, and again, I'm going to screen this a million times over. This is not necessarily my strength as a football guy. At a certain point, Michigan State went, all right, let's bait them into running. Let's play two high safeties. Let's basically, you know, it's it's kind of the basic idea of a balanced offense, which is you look at what the defense is going to throw out there. You look at where you have your guys lined up in relation. You make a decision based on that. If they're going to play those two high safeties, they're going to split them and you're going to have the numbers in the box where it's four down linemen uh, and maybe in two linebackers versus five offensive linemen and a tight end or whatever, or four offensive linemen uh, or five offensive linemen. And then the running back has to make some guy miss. You take that and you get yards off of that. And it's a, I don't remember who made this point. It was uh, one of the 24-7 guys, uh, or it was Thomas Frank Carr over at, uh, over at on three. But the worst thing that happened for Penn State was they before Michigan State really started doing that, Kayvon Lee was able to get cooking a little bit in the running game. And my guess is they said, okay, we think Kayvon has it today. We're going to ride this a little bit. We know the conditions aren't particularly great. Let's get out there and go. And as a result of that, Sean Clifford had the fewest pass attempts, you know, taking Rutgers out of it, tied for the fewest pass attempts since he left the Iowa game. He had 25 pass attempts against Iowa in a quarter and a half. He had 34 in the game against Illinois when he could not move. He had 52 against Ohio State, 47 against Maryland, 43 against Michigan. He had 34 over the weekend. And you look at Kayvon Lee, he had his second most carries of the year. Of course, he had a nice game, 15 carries, 75 yards. That 5.3 yards per carry is the second most he had in Big Ten play behind his 6.3 against Maryland and his 9.3 against a cursed Indiana program. Also had a little bit of success through the year with his best receiving day, 5 for 32. But I... I'm with you, Matt. I'm a big Mike Yurcich guy. I think that uh, I I, I think he's really good at his job. Generally, Uh, we'll get into him. He did. He did what he was hired for. He fixed Sean Clifford. Everybody around him. He 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 fixed Sean Clifford and he brought in the quarterback. He's bringing in the quarterback who is supposed to help the team take that step. But having said that, I feel like he got a little bit too enamored with all right, Michigan State, you want to give us this, we're going to try and beat you with that. And that played right into Michigan State's hands because Michigan State's pass defense has been bad all season. Of course, Sean Clifford 
when he was dropping back, it's not like he had the easiest day of his life, uh, four sacks, three quarterback hurries. But having said that, it just felt like Penn State shot itself in the foot on the offensive side of the football. Um, I will say this, if we're trying to look for a silver lining, um, Brenton Strange, four for 63, Parker Washington, four for 60, Keandre Lambert-Smith, two for 21, so an okay game through the air. Of course, Jahan Dotson put up those big numbers, but like it was some nice games from Penn State's receiving core, Matt. I just wanted to see more of that. Yeah, I agree. This should have been a nice day. This should have been a banner day uh, for a lot of guys. And it's a, it's a bummer that it's just a a very good day as opposed to a, a really phenomenal day. So that's just uh, good for Brenton Strange, man. I'm happy he got more involved. I, I'm excited Same. to see what Yorsha does with these tight ends next year because whew, all three of them back next year is going to make for some fun, fun, fun packages. I still should. like the Tyler Ward. Should, I should, still, should, yes, should, 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 should. Yes, 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 yes. I, 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 I have to, I'll go on my quick little tangent and then we can move on. I love that Yersich uh, realizes he has 85 dudes. Uh, not exactly, but you know what I'm trying to say. He has scholarship yeah. dudes. And if they can contribute in any way, and if they're not going to take a red shirt, play them. That's how Tyler Warren became more than just a wildcat option and a great receiving tight end on top of it. Uh, let guys figure out what they're good at. Uh, Landon Tengwell is another good example. He is a stud and I'm very happy that he is going yeah. to be playing for Penn state next year. Uh, I don't know which side as a tackle, uh, but one of them, and that's good. Yeah, uh, and I, you know, to show Jahan Das some love, any of the regular season, 91 receptions, 1,182 yards, 12 touchdowns. I mean, I, I, I'm sure in our season wrap-up stuff in uh, in a bit, we will say a million things about him, but I don't know if you can say enough about that guy. Uh, flipping to the other side of the football, though, Matt, I think this is probably the story of the game which is that Penn State's defense, I'm going to compare them to something, okay? I'm going to compare Penn State's defense to a beautiful sports car. When that defense is out, when that sports car is out there, and when you take that sports car and you put it in them beautiful conditions and you put them in that places where it can show that it's able to go zero to 60 in no time and you're able to turn it and it's able to just boop, 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 boop around turns and around curves and just keep gliding and gliding and gliding and show that it is this beautiful piece of machinery, you are going to sit there in awe. But the second you drop a sports car into adverse conditions, the thing that you immediately start go saying is, oh boy, I wish I had something that had a little bit more grip on here, a little bit more control. That when it's on that snowy feet, when it's on that snowy concrete, when it's on that icy concrete, I'm able to drive it and there's that power behind it. There's that four-wheel drive behind it, that sort of thing. I felt like we saw a Penn State defense that was out there, that was slipping and sliding around, that wasn't that while it is able to do some fantastic things, the conditions caught up to it. Uh, you know, I I think the the football team in my backyard had a similar issue, but it was a little bit different because I don't think Penn State was getting manhandled by Michigan State the way that Ohio State's defense got of uh, you know a similar built like a sports car type defense got manhandled by Michigan. I think they were just all over the place and they almost were 
they try to counteract that by being a very conservative defense in a way they're not used to being conservative, and that bit them in the ass. Yeah, I agree. Uh, if it's a sports car, it has to drive, um, no matter what. I, I know that's not how sports cars work, but it's an expensive car and needs to work. It was snowy for Michigan State, too. Um, this was a great defense. It probably was not an elite defense, and you know that that's I don't I don't know how you want to define elite. It seems like it's, it's really close, but you cannot get torn apart like that, and and especially that last that last touchdown pass that put things away. You cannot have that happen if you're an elite level defense. Um, I think we learned a lot about who fits where. Daquan Hardy, I know we're going to do game balls in a few, a little sneak peek there. He is a stud, man. The fact that he was probably Mac bound because of his size is, is insane to me. He is a star. Uh, and I think Kalen King is the guy. I think Kalen King is the future uh, for Penn State secondary. And it feels like just a year ago, we were talking about Joey Porter Jr. as that. And it feels like he is playing an aggressive style that does not suit a cornerback. I don't know, you know what that means. I know Penn State's going to have a safety spot open and it feels like Penn State always moves a guy and, you know, Porter looks like he's built like a safety more than a corner, but I'm not on the staff. So who knows what that looks like? So it's a bummer because this Michigan State offense is not that good. And it just feels like they were just a step behind in every single aspect of the game. And, and that's just a major bummer. Because uh, this should have been a game where they're able to shut everything down uh, and put together another dominant performance, and they just didn't come up come up with the plays. Yeah, I mean, I you know I don't want to uh, really pick on anyone too terribly much, but like I think the kind of the moment that everybody will point to uh, there was one with I believe Brandon Smith where it's on a third down. He just kind of gets lost in the sauce. He's one-on-one with someone. Uh, they juke and he kind of gets slipping and sliding ends up and ends up biting the dust. So I, I just think it was a lot of that stuff. I, I, I am upset that I don't have this number off the top of my head or I don't have access to it, but it felt like they didn't blitz and they didn't try to ramp up the pressure on the quarterback nearly as much as they uh, nearly as much as they usually do. They ended this game with zero sacks, but six and a half, but six tackles for loss, which was a little bit interesting. One quarterback hurry. And uh, it came by way of Jalen Reed, which is, um, you know, probably not a name that any of us would expect to record any sort of quarterback hurry statistics. Uh, you look at it. 451 yards for the Spartans, 9 for 18 on third down, 3 for 4 on fourth down, uh, 8.9 yards per completion, 3.9 yards per rush. I mean, I thought, uh, you know, Kenneth Walker, 30, 138, 4.6 yards per carry and a touchdown. That is, uh, you know, by his standards, that's an all right game. Uh, I mean, yardage wise, that's a, that's a good game, but 4.6 yards per carry. He can, he's capable of doing a little bit better. I thought the defense, while, while I say all of this, Matt, and I think we're both uh, a little bit mad at Penn State's defense, they made a big play that ended up leading to points. And they kept, I don't want to say kept Penn State in it because I don't necessarily think that is correct. But after those two early touchdowns, they end up settling in pretty nicely. Michigan State only gets a field goal uh, the rest of the way. And that was on a drive where they got down to Penn State's five-yard line. 
So I thought they settled in nicely. I just thought that at the end of the game, Michigan, or in the second half, namely, Michigan State's offense was able to just kind of settle in a little bit better than them. Would you agree with that? Yeah, they look comfortable. Like, I, I like the point you made um, about it feels like the Penn State staff read or whoever you want to say read too much into it or, you know, got talked into this Michigan State team being more beat up than they were. And it looked like Penn State was never able to fully understand what Michigan State had. Like, I know there's a ton of different you know injury concerns with Kenneth Walker and, and, and a couple of the receivers. Uh, and Michigan State knew what they had. And it feels like they did their best to exploit Penn State's lack of preparation. So it felt like they settled in very nicely while Penn State just felt like they were on their back foot for, for long stretches of the game, especially early on. Yeah, I mean, just a, a weird game for Penn State's defense altogether. Like, it, it, it's weird, but 30 points allowed, which is a little bit more than their standard. But when you consider that Penn State's was offense was able to make it a 14-14 football game at the start of the second quarter. I, like, I think they did. The defense did a little bit better than you might think. But at the same time, like, it was just an uncar- Like, it, it, it's this weird, like, paradoxical thing where they did better than you think, but it also wasn't their best performance. So uh, not great by the defense. If you want to talk not great, um, place kicker Jordan Stout. A uh, bit of an unceremonious end to things over one on field goals, uh, two for three on extra points. We actually saw uh, Jake Pinnaker rise like the Phoenix from the ashes. Uh, to come back in and attempt one PAT and showed a little bit of rust. Punter Jordan Stout, sensational. Kickoff man Jordan Stout, sensational. Return man Devin Ford, very, very good in this game. The return fumble was on John Lovett. Uh, But I think I would say that it's very hard. A, a very hard pill to swallow, Matt, is Penn State lost this game by three points, and that three points included a missed field goal from what was it about 27 yards or something like that i'm pulling it up right and here. a missed extra point and a missed, and a missed extra, extra point so you put that together and uh rough day for penn state special teams look jordan stout is the most important transfer in penn state football history um i don't think that's controversial at all uh but he did too much you have three dudes on scholarship i get pinnegar was hurt i get you on a red shirt Sahadic. those red shirts have been secured this should have been taken off his plate two weeks ago. Uh, I'm talking about short, short field goals and extra points. Uh, good for Pinnaker, you know, build on it for next year. Hopefully he's healthy. Glad uh, to see him. It's just, yeah, absolutely thrilled to see him. That's always exciting. Because uh, he made some big kicks back his freshman year and, and was pretty good his sophomore year, too, I thought. Um, so very excited that he got in there um, and looking forward to him taking over for next year. Uh, but this was this is just a bummer for Jordan Stout because, again, I think he is – by far the most important transfer in, in program history for what he's given uh, on, as a kickoff man and especially as a punter. He, him and Blake Gilligan are, are going to be, you know, in the pros at the same time. And that's really cool, because uh, if you are going to take me back to the um, Daniel Pascarillo and Chris Gula days, uh, if you were to tell me the next two punters would be pros, I probably would have laughed at you. Uh, so that's pretty neat to see. Yeah, uh, Jake Pinnegar on his Penn State career, 36 for 49 on field goals, 73.5%. Uh, 2019 was 11 for 12, so pretty good. And then Penn State, uh, 
137 for 142 on PATs in his career. Actually, uh, on short field goals, uh, one for one on kicks inside of 20 yards, 13 for 14 on 20 to 29 yards, 30 to 39 yards, 13 for 17. And then as things got a little bit farther out, he ran into some trouble. But uh, neither here nor there. then the return game, like I, you know, I don't, I don't know what to say. Like, well, again, we'll mention Lava in a second. Uh, in probably not the most positive of lights, I would say. Uh, but not a. I, I mean, I was happy to see Devin Ford return some kicks because I think Devin Ford is a guy that I would have liked to see a little bit more of this season for whatever reason. Uh, it seemed like the role that he plays, John Lava usurped all those responsibilities, and so. Tough day for Penn State special teams. Let's move on to game balls. Uh, Matt, one game ball for Penn State's offense, one game ball for Penn State's defense. Where are you going with these? Uh, Jahan, of course, for Penn State's offense. Man, he rocks. He might be my favorite receiver in Penn State history. Uh, Defense, I'm cheating and going to. Daquan Hardy gets one. And then I have been a card. I've been the freaking conductor of the Ellis Brooks hype train for like four years now. And uh, shout out to Greg Kincaid from Penn State for for tweeting this out. Uh, Through 12 games, Ellis Brooks has the most tackles of a Penn State player since Mike Hull. Ellis Brooks has quietly been a phenomenal piece of this Penn State defense, and I think he is going to be remembered, at least by me, as one of the more underappreciated players in program history, man. I have loved Ellis Brooks since his early days, and I'm just really happy he has probably played himself into a pro contract because he is a very, very, very good football player. He is just not flashy at all. And remind me, he doesn't have an extra year of eligibility, correct? So he does. Okay, um, I, I never would, remember with this stuff. He would be a sixth-year senior. Um, listen, it would rule. I think he's great. Um, it's also kind of in the same – I don't know why this analogy makes sense to me. But, like, Tony Carr, when he went pro in basketball, it's like what more can you put on tape that you don't already know? Like, unless Ellis Brooks just really likes playing college football, I don't see a benefit to him coming back for him. For Penn State, it's, it's immense, but – you know, go get paid, young man. You had it. You had a hell of a career, and I hope people start to realize that. You know, as the linebacker numbers look a little bit different next yeah. year. So, really happy for him. Elvis Brooks High forever. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, offense, I will give. Uh, you know, you gave yours to Jahan Dotson, so I'll give mine to Sean Clifford. I mean, I don't think there's a. I, I think John probably deserves it. Eight one thirty seven and two is crazy, but you know, Sean Clifford twenty three thirty four three thirteen three touchdowns and what might be his last big 10 game uh we'll dog ear that for later and then yeah i have to go uh with daquan hardy for his pick six he has been so good so good this season just a really solid slot cornerback uh a guy who when he came to penn state he was one of the guys that they just kind of took at the very bottom of a recruiting class. He was the number 1,379 player in the country, number 26 in Pennsylvania, 135 at his position. Uh, he was the lowest ranked guy in his in Penn State's recruiting class this year below, uh, you know, a guy like Joseph Apaya Darkwa, who was coming over from Germany. And he's just carved out a niche as a really, really important slot cornerback on this team. You know, if he's uh, sticking around, next year, which I, I have to assume he's going to, and Penn State's able to get those outside cornerbacks. I think he's going to be a guy who was really, really good last year in Happy Valley, but uh, that is for another time. Matt, off season's here. 
Penn State is seven. Not yet. We might still have a pinstripe bowl. There's, there's, a, there is a bowl game, uh, but we're basically at the point where we can do a regular season retrospective, and we will do plenty of longer ones in the coming days and weeks, and the lead up to the bowl game, all that sorts of things. But what I want to do is I want to say want us to do the big umbrella things, and what I, that means I want us to do what we think the one big thing is for the offense. The one big thing is for the defense, and the one big thing is for Penn State's special teams before we get into uh, Penn State in the context of everything happening in the world of college football right now. Let's actually go back to front. We have this on here, offense, defense, special teams. I feel like we're going to have the sh- that. We'll go- order this from the shortest conversation to the longest conversation. Let's start one big thing for Penn State's special teams. To me, it's easy. It's just finding out how to allocate all the kicking responsibilities. Is Jake Pinnaker going to be a guy that you trust to kick field goals of all lengths? Is Are they going to take what uh, a similar version of the approach that we thought they were going to take this year, which is uh, 40 and in is pin, 41 and out is stout or whatever uh, the line was they use, except you know plugging in uh, Sanders to Haydick for uh, Jordan Stout. When it comes to punting, are they going to try and have a guy like Sahedek, have a guy like Pinnaker take that on, or are they going to give it to the true freshman uh, coming in? Alex Paqueta, the three-star punter, number two in his class from the Westminster School in Atlanta, Georgia. Are they going to go out the transfer portal, or are they going to stay with someone internally? Whatever that is, it's just finding out how to take what we saw from Penn State this year, which is one guy doing everything, and not have that big responsibility beyond one person. What do you say, Matt? What is the one big thing for you for Penn State special teams this offseason? So I agree. I think you have to figure out who fits where. Um, you're going to have three specialists next year uh, on scholarship, no matter what. You're going to have Pinnaker, you're going to have Zahedek, and you're going to have, I think it's pronounced Baquetta, not Bacchetta. Uh, so the punter coming up from Georgia. So there's three dudes. They're not going to handle, I think, that specific thing that they're coming in as. I would you know, bet Pinnaker is... Uh, field goals, I would bet Sahadik is kickoffs and uh, long field goals because he has a hell of a leg. Uh, and then as for punting, you know, you can go with Baquetta if you want to redshirt him, though. I know uh, Barney Amore, who was a transfer in from Colgate, did not walk at senior day. And I'm just looking at his stats from when he was at Colgate. Uh, he averaged uh, over 42 yards a punt. That's, you know, nothing great. But who knows what the Penn State strength staff did for him that Colgate just couldn't do. So, you have options, so it, it, there's absolutely no reason that one dude should have all this responsibility again. It's just it's just too much for a college kid to handle. So I hope they're able to figure that out uh, pretty early on. Just have everybody be hyper focused and specialized all throughout spring ball uh, and into camp next year. Which is crazy that I'm talking about camp next year, but you know we're at the point of the year where I'm looking forward. Yeah, Penn State's uh, roster currently uh, two punters. Uh, Barney Amore, like you mentioned, did not walk at senior day. I'm not sure. Did Bradley King walk at senior day from Lackawanna College? Do we know that off the top of our heads? Uh, I have no idea. I know Chris Stoll, the long snapper, did not. Uh, and he will be a six-year guy. Um, so if you're you know, worried about long snapping uh, competitions, yeah. sorry, you have to wait a little bit for one to probably manifest. <laughs> uh, and then Gabriel Nwosu, a freshman out of uh, the Ballas School in Maryland. Oh, I forgot about Big Punt. Oh, I forgot yeah. about the Big Punter. Oh, heck yeah. I'll throw him in there then, too. <laughs> and then when you get down to kickers, Rafael uh, Cheka, uh, you met, we've mentioned Jake Pinnaker, Sanders, Sahedic. 
He did Cheka walk. Cheka did okay. walk at senior day, yeah. Uh, he was the holder this year for Penn State, so there's that. And then Vlad Hilling and Mitchell Grow are the other guys on the roster, but considering you have multiple scholarship dudes, I, I can't imagine you go walk on there. Neither here nor there. Uh, let's go to Penn State's defense. I mean, <laughs> I, I will say this. If you believe the coaching rumor scuttlebutt, there's going to be a much bigger question that needs to be answered than anything involving personnel. Let's take that out of it, Matt. We'll take, is Brent, who's the defensive coordinator, just out of this entirely? And we'll just stick with personnel. What is the one big thing you think needs to be answered for Penn State's defense? It's linebacker. I feel I feel like they're going to upgrade everywhere across the board. Obviously, you have to replace Epiketti. Uh, but you have Adisa Isaac coming back. You have Nick Tarburton coming back. Zariah Fisher is going to be in year two. You know, you'll probably find a transfer maybe. You know, along the interior, you're going to lose Tangelo. But I thought Keziah Izzard played really well. I thought Devon Ellis played really well. Hopefully, um, I think Hakeem Beeman works his way back. You know, secondary looks fine. But you're probably going to lose Ellis Brooks, so I don't think he'll take advantage of, this, of his sixth year. Who knows what Brandon Smith's going to look at? And then you're left with Curtis Jacobs as your only starter. And I know Charlie Catcher's done some nice things, but, you know, in the middle, who knows what you're going to have there. Kobe King is or Tyler Elliston are the options. So I'm concerned about what they're going to do there. So I'm just really curious to see what the linebacker starting lineup looks like uh, and then depth, because I think that can be a, a very, very thin position room very quickly. For me, it is whether or not Penn State's going to have that game change, a game-changing option at defensive end. Arnold Ebiketti is going to be moving on to the NFL. Penn State's defensive end depth chart then looks like. I, I will say, I think you are correct on linebacker. Uh, Arnold Ebiketti moving on to the, to the NFL. Uh, Jesse Lukita will find out what ends up happening with him. If I were in his ear, I would say go to the NFL because I thought he had a very good season this year. Uh, but if you were to stay in develop, that would be great. But should he move on? Your options is defensive end based on who is on scholarship. Adisa Isaac, who is coming off of an injury that did not want to play football this season. Nick Tarburton, a uh, nice football player. Uh, I'm not going to take anything away from him. I'm going to feel good with Penn State going into battle with Nick Tarburton. I just don't know if he will be the kind of guy who can consistently change games from the defensive end position. Devon Townley, Bryce Mastella, Zariah Fisher, Rodney Magruder, Smith Vilbert are the other defensive ends on scholarship coming in in this recruiting class, Ken Talley, and denied Dennis Sutton. There's talent. There's some guys who play a little bit of football. But I feel like you were banking a lot on a guy in Isaac who suffered a very serious injury to be the guy on your defensive line. And that's just like when you consider that Penn State's linebacker room might need to be reshaped a little bit when you consider that the defensive tackle position – Good, but still is going to have some question marks. Like the, they're going to have guys there, but they're still going to have uh, some general question marks. And we consider that the secondary probably takes a step back without Jaquan Brisker, without Tariq Castro Fields. Uh, you know, we've never, we haven't mentioned that the Joey Porter Jr. can go to the NFL if he wants to, neither here nor there. It just feels like the pass rush is going to have to be a little bit more dynamic. And that's probably the big thing for me there. And then the offense. Penn State's offense next year is the question mark for me because if we start seeing Mike Yurcich's off, the offense that was kind of promised to us, 
consistently seeing the offense that was promised to us. I'm not even necessarily saying the one he had at Oklahoma State where Justice Hill ran for nearly 1,500 yards and uh, Mason Rudolph threw for more than 4,000 yards. Just an aggressive attacking high-scoring offense. I'm going to feel pretty good. But I think there's going to be one big thing to get Penn State there. Matt, what would you say is the one big thing for Penn State's offense that heading into this offseason? The offensive line. I'm not worried about quarterback at all. There is That is going to be the thing we talk about the most all offseason, so I will not talk about it here. It's the offensive line. They have to get it right. They didn't this year. If I were you know, taking a, a look at it, I don't know what Rasheed Walker has in store. He's a guy who could benefit, I think, from another year. Landon Tangwall is there. You have Spencer Rollin coming in, who's going to be a tackle, who just was first team all Ivy League at, at Harvard. And that's a big jump, I know, but that's still a guy who at least knows what he's doing and also played football this year. Like Eric Wilson was a year cold and he was still pretty good. I thought Juice Scruggs, I think is the best lineman on this roster. I'm excited for him to play center. Mostly. Uh, I believe it was Sal Wormley was projected as a starter before an injury knocked him out. Like there are dudes who know how to play football and dudes who are going to be good offensive linemen. If Phil Troutwine and James Franklin and Mike Yurcich put them where they're best fit to play. So I don't know what that looks like. I have my own theory, but I'll wait to see some NFL decisions before I really put it out there. So that's priority one. Nothing will go unless the offensive line is capital G good. And we've been saying that for a decade, it feels like. But this has to be the year or you move on and go to your third offensive line coach in like five years. And nobody wants to go through that. So it, it's, it's put up or shut up time for Phil Troutwine and those guys. Either I lost you or your dog ate your microphone. No, no, no. I hear you. You, you, We're good. We're good. We're good. For me, the one big thing is what is better for the team? Stability or some sort of change that attempts to make things better? I mean, you look at this offensive coaching staff, what they do as recruiter, like whatever thing you want to look at. And I'm not trying to take away from anyone as a recruiter. They got some really good recruiters on this football team. But I think the most important thing that James Franklin, and I would probably say more Mike Yurcich, because I think this has to be his offense, can do is decide whether or not this is the group of guys in the coaching staffs on the roster or do we have difficult decisions with a coach who's been here a year or two or three, but we just don't think he's the guy with a player who, you know, maybe you say to a guy, you've done some, you know, you've been here for a minute. Maybe it would be best for you and for us if your scholarship opened up and you sought out an opportunity somewhere else, all those sorts of things. And let this be an offense where you make any sort of radical change. Or do you look at what you have, especially in the event Sean Clifford comes back, which we have no idea if he's going to do that or not. Do you look at that and look at potentially Clifford coming back and going, we want to run it back with this group, you know, Sands, uh, you know, I believe Mike Miranda and John Dotson would be the most notable guys who would end up leaving. If you do that and you do that with the coaching staff, you better hope 
next season ends up becoming a better season for you. If you don't do that and maybe you buy yourself a little time, maybe you do some sort of radical overhaul, I don't know, but there has to be a popping of the hood on this thing. And there has to be a going, what do we need to do as a run game, as a pass game, as an offensive line, as a running back, as a quarterback, as a wide receiver, as a tight end room, as play callers, as uh, whatever. What did we do wrong? How do we completely fix that? Because if we have another year like this next year, a next year that I remind you starts with the team going to Purdue. I'm going to this game. I already decided. I'm going to I'm going to make the drive. I'm very excited about it. I'm thinking about it already. This will be fun. God bless you. Going to Purdue, going to Auburn, a stretch before the bye of Ohio State at Michigan, Illinois. And then you come right out of the bye and you play Michigan State. You have Minnesota in that uh, later stretch of the season. You can't survive. Like this program cannot survive another year of just wretched offense because that's when you start asking questions about the coordinator. That's when you start asking questions about the offensive minded head coach whose teams have had issues that have existed for the duration of his tenure. That's when you start having recruits ask questions. That's when you start having the kids on the roster ask questions. And it's just like a snowball effect can happen. But again, that's something we'll talk about a little bit farther down the line. I say all that despite the fact, and you know, we had some listener questions. I apologize. We're not going to get to them. We're going to end with this. We're saying all of that as college football is in the midst of, I don't want to say a realignment. I don't want to say a power shift, anything like that. But we have seen two head coaching moves in the last 24, 36, whatever it might be, hours, Matt. Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma for USC. Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame for LSU. The, the historical precedent for these moves are one another at this point. There is basically no historical precedent of Notre Dame losing a head coach to another school, of Oklahoma losing a head coach to another, another good head coach to another school. Like this stuff just does not happen. And as all of that has gone on and we've seen some of the fallout from it, particularly when it comes to recruiting at Oklahoma and players entering the transfer portal and what could end up happening with our friends in South Bend in the coming days and weeks. All I can help but think is, whoo boy, I am glad that is not us. Uh, Penn State's going to look like they underpaid James Franklin which how, with how much money uh, USC just backed up to Lincoln Riley and how much money LSU was going to have to back up uh, to Brian Kelly, like, yeah, it feels good to have stability and it feels good that uh, Penn State got it in with like a week to spare. This is great. This is a huge recruiting cycle. This is a huge recruiting class. The portal changes everything. There's going to be dudes who will seriously consider Penn State from high level programs because they'd rather restart with someone they know in this coaching staff than somebody completely different at their current school or with rebuilt parts at another school with their current head coach. So it feels good to have James Franklin as the guy. I still think he is the best option for Penn State in 2022. Uh, Who knows what that looks like going forward, but 
I like where Penn State is, as it feels like a lot of schools in a perceived better position than Penn State most years kind of scramble to get their feet underneath them. Uh, so it feels it feels pretty good right now that while a lot of other big programs are trying to figure out who's going to coach them, uh, Penn State, from what I understand, is out on the recruiting trail, uh, putting the bow on a very, very good 2022 class. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm going to quote uh, college football reporter Matt Fortuna of The Athletic, who actually uh, just tweeted this out uh, literally 11 minutes ago as we're recording. This is usually how these things go, but Brian Kelly has ghosted everyone at Notre Dame. Just spoke to one assistant who saw reports on his phone tonight as he was exiting the recruits home. The news broke while I when I walked out of the house, so I look like an effing a-hole. Um, I like I'm just seeing all of this stuff happening. I'm seeing Brian Kelly say a reason why he want or it was a reported by Pete Sampson of the Athletic that a reason why Brian Kelly wanted to leave Notre Dame or would want to leave Notre Dame was the football facilities were not up to snuff and there was not a level of urgency to address the stuff that Notre Dame needs to address. And this is an open thing that has kind of existed in South Bend. I see Lincoln Riley leaving because he thinks he hit a bit of a ceiling at US at Oklahoma that this big move to the SEC is going to change everything for that program. And he goes, I want to go to a place where I can win. If you can be a football program that puts that doesn't let your coach leave because he doesn't think he has everything he can to have to succeed, that doesn't let your coach leave because you don't, he doesn't think there is a path to being successful here. Well, guess what? You're a good football program. You're a football program that is in a good place. And I think it says a lot about Penn State, a lot about James Franklin, and, you know, a lot about the fact that both of these programs apparently had some level of interest in James Franklin, that he is sticking around. I get the concerns about Franklin, and I think he is going to have to address a lot of them. I think the fact that two seasons in a row have snowballed to this extent and there have been multiple seasons where the team loses a football game and then just comes out looking terrible is another thing that's going to have to be addressed. But I don't think you can look at everything that is happening in college football and think anything other than Penn State is in a pretty good place right now. Would you agree with that? Yes, uh, I would say 95% of programs are envious of Penn State right now, and that's a that's a good spot to be. Despite being seven and five, that's a good spot to be. Yeah, I mean, you, I I shudder to think what would happen if James Franklin were to have taken another job, or Penn State were to have decided it's worth moving on from James Franklin when they have the number five recruiting class in the country, number one in the Big Ten. And, you know, some of the kids that are going to now be on the market are kids that Penn State has pursued in recent, uh, you know, in this recruiting cycle. The big one, uh, hat tip to Steve Wilfong over at 24-7, after Derek Moore, a four-star uh, defensive tackle, the number 96 player in the class of 2022, uh, from 
Baltimore decommitted from Oklahoma. He tweeted, I heard Georgia and Penn State are two of the programs that are working to get back in the mix with him. But right before he committed to Oklahoma, or while he was going through his recruiting cycle, Penn State was one of the schools that he visited and was interested in him. Like you look at this stuff and the stability that exists at Penn State is something that is appeal has the potential to be appealing to kids. That's all I'll say. I think that it's very possible, like you said, Matt, in the next couple of days, weeks, whatever, it's going to look like Penn State having its head football coach at the price it does is a good price. But I think you also have to worry that if Penn State's not able to capitalize on this stuff, there's that juggernaut in Columbus, and we now have an ascendant program up in Ann Arbor. Uh, I'm. I, well, are there any final things you want to say about Penn State? I mean, we'll talk real quick about Michigan because I think Michigan's a really fun thing for us to talk about right now. But any, any final things about Penn State and all this stuff right now? Um, Zane Durant just posted a photo of the staff uh, visiting him down in Florida, and the dad vibes coming off Joe Lorig are outstanding. Um, that's pretty much it. At oh, this wow. point, I think we've covered everything. Yeah. Are, do you see the picture? Yeah. That's like a, very, very, yeah. very dad youth pastor vibes coming off Joe Lorig. I dig it. Yeah, that's a good, good, for, good for Joe Lorig. He, he looks like uh, – Joe Lorig looks like the professor who wants to be the cool professor, uh, but he teaches en- engineering, so it's not possible for him to be cool under any circumstances. So shout out to Joe Lorig <laughs> for that. Uh, yeah, damn, they really, uh, they really set the crew down there to see the Durant. That's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, I will. Uh, we won't do a full Big Ten chat because, well, one, we just haven't done a full Big Ten chat in a while, uh, and two, this podcast is gone pretty long but I, you know let's have, let's have a quick conversation about the teams ahead of penn state i we're going to uh, i will tease this because i think this is going to be uh something fun but uh we're going to be doing a crossover episode uh with our pals patrick mayhorn and ryan donnelly of flipping the field uh be on the lookout for that next week uh but i want just to talk about the three teams ahead of penn state michigan state michigan and ohio state obviously there is a seismic win for the wolverines in uh, in Ann Arbor over the Buckeyes, snapping an eight-game losing streak this week where uh, they basically just, you know, kicked the living hell out of Ohio State on both sides of the football, 42-27. And then there was, of course, Michigan State 30-27 to over Penn State. When you look at those games, you look at those teams, you look at those programs, and you look at Penn State's place in the Big Ten, how are you feeling? Because I don't think I would blame any Penn State fan who sees – Ohio State being Ohio State, Michigan State and the turnaround they had one year under Mel Tucker, and Michigan, you know, having one foot in the door for the college football playoff and going, I, you know, I, I got a little indigestion right now. I mean, there's a big elephant in the room uh, that just opened up in Big Ten country, although it's not in the Big Ten, and that's Notre Dame. Um, like, what if it's always been assumed that Luke Fickle was going to be the Ohio State guy if Ryan Day moves on? Uh, the Bears are probably going to open. Like, what if Ryan Day goes to the Bears and Luke Fickle's at Notre Dame? What does that does that create, this power vortex? Um, Josh Gaddis has been linked to a couple pretty good jobs in, in around where he's from in North Carolina. Like, like the Duke job, I know. You know, there's been some swirls that he could be a candidate there. Like, there's so many moving parts. Ohio State's going to be the top dog until it's not. But the fact that, you know, Michigan State's making this run 
And J.J. McCarthy, who is the five-star and, you know, the prince that was promised is not the primary guy, is a good sign the program is healthy. Uh, but also, if we looked at where things stood a year ago, you would have thought Michigan was heading towards a spiral, but they just happened to turn it around when they stayed the course. Penn State could be on that trajectory. It wouldn't surprise me if they were. I think Michigan State got very lucky with transfers and overpaid Mel Tucker. I don't know what that means in terms of a drop-off, but it's going to exist. Like, we're heading towards such a bizarre, you know, bundle of those top four teams in the East. And I honestly have no idea which way things are going to go because we have to wait for the carousel to calm down before we have any idea who's where. So Mm -hmm. I don't think Penn State is, like, you know, behind. I think Penn State's probably still ahead of Michigan. uh, I'm sorry, Michigan State. And they might be ahead of Michigan still. Like, for all we know, this could be... Michigan's one-year wonder like you know Penn State kind of had in 16 and 17 so I am still very optimistic about where things stand but I'm very happy Michigan got the win this weekend it makes things very interesting and he is a cornball but Jim Harbaugh is good for the Big Ten and I'm happy he will be sticking around at Michigan's head coach for a while he's he's good for the conference yeah one of my uh, one of my favorite Michigan men uh Brian underscore Mac on Twitter pointed out that uh, Michigan was playing Rutgers last year. Rutgers had a 45-yard field goal uh, in overtime. They make it. Michigan is one in four. Harbaugh's hot seat might get to the point of being untenable. They end up missing it. You know, just margins in this sport are as slim as they could be. Uh, and actually, you were mentioning that. I don't know if you saw this uh, while we were podcasting, but again, Matt Fortuna of the Athletic reported. Uh, no, it wasn't uh, Matt Fortuna of the Athletic. It was Pete Sampson of the Athletic reported that there will be momentum among decision makers at Notre Dame to elevate defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman to the head coaching position, which uh, you and me and I think a lot of people who want Penn State to have an insurance plan in the event James Franklin isn't the guy would like Luke Fickle to stay at Indy, stay at Cincinnati for a while. And I sure as hell know that uh, the people in my neck of the woods in the event, Ryan day, isn't the guy or Ryan day ends up taking another job. Uh, they would really like it. If Luke Fickle did not go anywhere because Luke Fickle to Penn state is a backup plan or Luke Fickle to Penn state is, you know, I think insurance was the word I used. He's the get out of jail free card for Ohio State. Things become very weird if Ohio State cannot make Luke Fickle their next head football coach. But that's that's neither here nor there. Uh, Michigan State, I think, is like I, I hate saying this because we're seeing it with them now, and I hate acting like we're not doing that. But you know, we're at the point now where I I need to see it for a second season. Like Mel Tucker has had three seasons as a college football head coach, and he has in that time as many losing seasons as James Franklin has in an 11 or 12 year stretch that included three years at Vanderbilt. So I just want to see Michigan state do it more than one year where they nailed every single move in the transfer portal. I will say they brought in uh, Jalen Berger, the former running back of Wisconsin earlier today, which is a nice little move for them. Uh, and then Ohio state's Ohio state. I think that uh, if you, it, it, you know, I just mentioned flipping the field. If you want go listen to their most recent podcast, uh, the one that dropped uh, today, uh, November 29th, uh, Ryan and Patrick. Uh, Ryan's a, a, an Ohio State guy. Patrick covers Ohio State. Both have really good football sense. And they br- dove into some of the uh, under-the-hood issues that Ohio State has kind of been able to uh, not make look like a big deal because they've been winning football games. It was actually very interesting. And then Michigan, 
Like there, you know, I don't know if this is a sustainable thing for Michigan, if this is them taking advantage of a bunch of stuff, if things kind of go belly up because a bunch of guys leave for the NFL, whatever it might be. But the fact of the matter remains that they are going to be the third Big Ten East team to make the college football playoff. If they beat Iowa uh, and Penn State's going to be the team left out in all of that, no matter what our feelings are about the 2016 team and whether or not they should have made the playoff. And yes, they should have. Uh I think the Big Ten East is in a really good place, and I think that Penn State's in a really good place in it, even though this season has been very disappointing. Uh, Matt, any, any any kind of final things you want to say uh, before I wrap up this edition of the pod, particularly if it pertains to how funny it was watching Ohio State just get stomped? Oh, my God, they got their asses kicked. Uh, go blue. Good for them. Very fun. Uh, 2022 news. Uh, Tanner Morgan's coming back for his 19th year yeah. of college football, and he's on the schedule. And uh, Auburn fired Bobo, so they'll be having a new offensive coordinator when Penn State goes to Auburn in September of next year. Uh, so two things regarding 2022, uh, the Penn State season 2022 that have developed today. So very, very interesting. Uh, one last, uh, not Penn State thing, but I suppose uh, tangentially... Penn State team thing. Uh, former Penn State offensive coordinator uh, Josh Gaddis has decided that he was going to talk his talk about beating Ohio State. Uh, quote from him today uh, They're a good team. They're a good team. They're a finesse team. They're not a tough team. And we knew that going into the game we, that we can out physical them, we can out tough, and that was going to be the key to the game. And that's what we prepared for all year long. Um, makes me feel a little bit better about keeping that game really close. And basically if two cornerbacks to run into cornerbacks to run into one of the Penn state wins it neither here nor there. Thank you everyone for listening to this edition of Royal Lions radio. As always, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go to get your podcast. If you use Apple podcast, please go and leave us a five-star review. Please keep reading and supporting the site. Best way to do that is to make sure you're buying some t-shirts and make sure you're following us on all of our various social media channels. One last time, thank you very much for listening to this edition of War Lions Radio. For Matt Filipovitz, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. I cannot wait for the first video of Brian Kelly being confused on how to eat gumbo to pop up on my timeline. <laughs>